VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Weighing the equities... We must avoid a strike. The last thing we need is an unforced error like this. I think it will pass, but it's unfortunate that this is how we're running our economy today. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. If we do not stand up and speak up right now about the most dishonest elections in the history of Arizona, I truly fear for our future. That's unconscionable. Shame on her. Shame on her. The voters spoke. They decided it just happened to not be her. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Congress to the rescue. What could go wrong? Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as lawmakers prepare now to vote on legislation to avert a nationwide rail strike as President Biden urges them to act now to intervene. And with an approaching deadline on government funding, we discuss the agenda on Capitol Hill in an exclusive interview with Senator John Thune, the Republican whip in the Senate, only here on Bloomberg Radio. Same-sex marriage gets a vote in the Senate today, and Carrie Lake makes it clear she will sue over results to the election in Arizona. We'll talk about it all with our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis with us for the hour. So it's it's been a busy day in Washington. We got a much better idea of where things stand on a possible rail strike when President Biden called on Congress to intervene. That's not a good sign. And he started the day by meeting with leaders from the House and Senate today at the White House. Tomorrow morning, we will have a bill on the floor. Sandy said we could come up as early as 9 o'clock in the morning with the legislation that accepts the, the original agreement plus the additional benefits that were gained in further discussion. Okay, Speaker Nancy Pelosi in the driveway outside the West Wing came outside with Chuck Schumer to talk to reporters after the meeting with the president. Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy also there. He spoke with reporters at the stakeout after. I think it will pass, but it's unfortunate that this is how we're running our economy today. This has all got to stop and change. And we heard a short time later from Mitch McConnell, Republican leader in the Senate. The president indicated support for legislation on the rail strike issue. And I believe I heard Senator Schumer say uh, we're likely to see that on the floor this week. This is where we begin our interview with Senator John Thune, the Republican from South Dakota, minority whip, sat down with us exclusively today on Bloomberg. And I started by asking him about the rail strike legislation, whether Republicans will support it. I mean, I think right now, uh, first off, we'll be acting on the House, and uh, yeah. we'll see what the outcome is there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it comes in, if it comes from the House, I'm sure Schumer puts it on the floor, uh, and it would take uh, some Republican votes for it to pass. Um, I would hope that it would that the administration could work this out. We've said that all along. They seem to have kind of thrown up their hands 
but it's something that the president needs to own. The Presidential Emergency Board, which he created, came up with a series of recommendations, and, uh, and that uh, is what everybody sort of has agreed upon, with mm -hmm. the exception of one union. Um, so we would like to see them resolve it without having Congress have to act. Um, if, in fact, we do, um, my guess is that uh, Congress will do the responsible thing. In that case, the, the, there is obviously congressional authority here. Uh, it's, we've seen this happen before, even though it's been a long time. Why is it just the administration's responsibility? Then? Well, I mean, I think largely, first off, it should be negotiated between the railroads and the, and the, and the labor unions. Mm -hmm. And they worked at this, I think, going back to 2019 and sort of hit an impasse, at which point the presidential emergency board gets triggered. But it is something that uh, this is a president who claims to be the most pro-labor president ever yeah. in history. And you would think his relationships, he'd have enough influence with the unions to be able to get them to table and to get an agreement here. In fact, most of, in most cases, the leadership of the unions agreed and a good member, a good uh, representation of their membership did as well. But in the end, um, they don't have everybody. And since they don't have everybody, they're kind of punting it to Congress. I think it's very rare. Uh, it shouldn't happen. And um, I think the last time it did happen was 1991, mm -hmm. and that wasn't, um, that wasn't kind of the sort of circumstance that we're talking about here. To be clear, though, a shutdown is unacceptable to you yeah. the Republican yeah, that's Party right. in the Senate. Yeah. We've got a big date coming, December 16th, when government funding expires. What happens that day? I think hopefully by then there will be an agreement on either a, a bill to fund the government through the rest of the fiscal year, which would take us into next year, September 30th, mm -hmm. or it'll be probably some short-term resolution that funds the government into some, at some point next year, which is not ideal. It is a, it, but it is a reminder of just the, and I, frankly, I think this, uh, I think that Schumer and the Democrats use this to their advantage because when you get to this point in the year, they have a tremendous amount of leverage, and they usually use that leverage to try and get more spending. But if we had been doing appropriations bills throughout the year, which is what Congress is supposed to do, we wouldn't be in this situation. Um, but then it's really, a, it, it is going to be a, a question of whether or not there is support for some, some sort of a long-term funding solution that would take us into the end of the fiscal year next year yeah. or a, a short-term punt into next year. Problems with either of those, right? There the are. Long-term CR would mean the Pentagon doesn't get, for instance, what it needs uh, in renewing its budget, but a short-term uh, CR brings you into the beginning of next year could lead to a government shutdown. Do you worry about that? Well, I do worry about, you know, when you do these sort of short-term CR, short-term CR, short-term yeah. CR, um, eventually, you know, something's got to give, push, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there, there's got to be some um, final uh, resolution to this. And, um, and I would hope that that wouldn't result in a government shutdown, which is why I think it's advantageous for everyone to try and work this out now. And hopefully there is a, a path forward to a funding solution that would, uh, that would go uh, into uh, the end of the fiscal year next year. I know there was some talk about dealing with the debt limit uh, this year in this lame duck session. Are you waiting for a Republican-led House to manage that? I, I think it's, in my view, at least right now, the likelihood is because we don't, that doesn't get triggered until middle of next year, yeah. that it probably ends up being a, a next-year exercise. Uh, there's some conversation around it, mostly among Democrats, of trying to do it this year. Um, but I do think it's a, it's a challenge under any circumstance, and it'll certainly sure be that next year. Well, and, and, of course, in that case, you say debt limit next year, and people say, well, fiscal cliff next year. Right. How concerned are you about reliving this from, what was it, 2011? Yeah, there, there are uh, examples in the past where we've been kind of up against this. Um, 
And unfortunately, as is typically the case around here, there nothing really happens until you face a hard deadline. Mm -hmm. uh, but that hard deadline will be out there at some point. Um, I would hope we could avoid a, a crisis because I think you know the markets get very rattled by that, uh, by uncertainty. It creates a lot of volatility, and um, and I think we ought to, if possible, try and come up with solutions in advance of these deadlines so we don't face that kind of a crisis. Same-sex marriage. Uh, the Senate is apparently just about to vote on this. Uh, you're leaving here to go right. deal with votes. Will you be part of codifying this into law? I'm not going to be voting for it, but it will pass. Um, there are sufficient votes to, to pass it. There are uh, several amendment votes this afternoon dealing with the religious li liberty protections yes. and amendments that um, members, uh, Republican members, believe are essential. And there are, there are more votes for um, the ultimate bill if any of these amendments is considered or adopted. If they're uh, adopted, you're still a no? Well, I'll, I'll, I'm likely a no, but, um, I think oh. it, but I do think it expands the, the universe of, uh, of votes that are available for it um, if there would be a willingness by the Democrats to at least uh, accept or, or vote for some of these amendments. We understand 70, 71 percent of Americans approve of this. How, how come you're a no vote? Well, I mean, I think it's a, it did vary state to state, obviously, and it's a different issue in my state than it would be in, in perhaps, a, you know, an area in this part of the country. Um, but I do think it's a settled issue. I think the courts did that. And my, one of my arguments is that this isn't something, again, that Congress or the, that we ought to have to intervene with. There's, in my view, no reason. There's no challenge out there in any state in the country. Uh, the Obergefell decision is, uh, people I think accept is the law of the land. And uh, so the need to codify it to me um, doesn't exist. But that's not, you know, we're gonna have the vote. Um, and I think it'll pass. Are you comfortable with Donald Trump remaining the, the so-called head of the Republican Party now that he is running for president? I, I think that um, we've got a lot of emerging leaders, and I think you'll start hearing and seeing more of them. So you'd like to see a primary? Well, I think there's going to be one, and I hope it's a robust one. I mean, I think we need, uh, you know, we've got a, new, a younger generation, a new generation of leaders that are starting to emerge, and I think there are a lot of people around the uh, country that are hungry for that. Um, and, uh, and I think if we articulate the right vision for the future of the country, if some of these new leaders that are, that are coming forward, uh, I think we can be a, a majority governing party in the future. We just have to, we've got to come up with a way of articulating a message that attracts a lot of those middle independent voters, particularly in swing states, that you need to win general elections. You were considered the giant slayer when you beat Tom Daschle. How about John Thune? Do you remember that? <laughs> Well, that was a long time ago. Um, no, I, I've got my hands full where I am, but I am, but I am excited about the field, and I think there are some really, some really highly qualified and uh, very effective leaders out there. Were you upset to see this dinner that took place at Mar-a-Lago? Do you have thoughts on this dining with a white supremacist? Yeah, I mean, there's no place for that. I, I don't know how that one slipped through the. And, and, and all you can say is, I mean, this is. I, I actually, I don't know what you can say. You can't defend it. Um, and in uh, our party. If, if that's the kind of um, leadership that our party uh, can expect into the future, we're going to be a minority party. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so that's, uh, that kind of behavior, that kind of um, uh, you know, tolerance for those sorts of views is, is, is not acceptable. Uh, speaking of the majority party, I'll end on this. What happens if Herschel Walker wins next week? How does that impact Republican plans for the Senate? I think two, two things, one near-term, one long-term. Obviously, long-term sets us up better for 2024. That, that one seat matters a lot. 
But I also think in the near term, there's a big difference between a 50-50 Senate and a 51-49 Senate. And a lot of it has to do with the way committees are composed and equal representation there. And um, so I think that uh, we're in a much better place at 50-50 than, than to be at 49. And so oh. we're hoping Herschel will come through. So that's a difference maker for you. It is. Yeah, it is. Thanks to Senator John Thune, the Republican from South Dakota, minority whip in the Senate and speaking exclusively with us here on Bloomberg. That was a wide ranging conversation, of course, and we have a lot to unpack ahead with our panel, which we will do. I do want to mention, though, because it was he was called out on the program yesterday. Kevin McCarthy, House Minority Leader, likely to be speaker, was asked about this dinner at Mar-a-Lago again today at the White House. I don't think anybody should be spending any time with Nick Fuentes. He has no place in this Republican Party. I think President Trump uh, came out four times and uh, condemned him and didn't know who he was. Well, he just said he didn't know who he was. He didn't condemn him or his ideology. Well, I condemn his ideology. It has okay. no place in society. So Kevin McCarthy condemns it. We haven't heard yet from Donald Trump, of course, the man who was at the table. We'll assemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie are on the way. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The fastest hour in politics, of course, could not exist without our panel. And we want to tick through some of the highlights of our conversation, our exclusive sit down with Senator John Thune today. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors, and they're with us now. It's great to have, of course, both of you here. And I'm curious your thoughts on this. Why don't we just do this in order here, remembering uh, that this uh, rail, this looming rail strike will likely be stopped by Congress. John Thune doesn't, however, think that it should be the responsibility of the House and the Senate. It's something that the president needs to own. The Presidential Emergency Board, which he created, came up with a series of recommendations, and, uh, and that uh, is what everybody sort of has agreed upon, with mm -hmm. the exception of one union. Um, so we would like to see them resolve it without having Congress have to act. Um, if, in fact, we do, um, my guess is that uh, Congress will do the responsible thing. And it looks like that will happen. I don't know how many Republicans end up voting for this genie, 
But is he right? He's echoing Kevin McCarthy that this was the White House's job to get this done, not Congress. Yeah, I mean, we are hearing this from Republicans. And, you know, Thune, I was, you know, really interesting to hear him say that. Marco Rubio coming out and saying he's not going to impose a deal that doesn't support rail workers, sounding a bit more potentially like Bernie Sanders than a Republican. So, you know, you do hear, you know, when I was listening to them come out of the White House, there seemed to be some optimism this gets done. I still think it Mm -hmm. will. But we're going to have a strange bed fellows between progressives and potentially people like Thune and maybe Marco Rubio who decide they don't want to act or they think the White House has this responsibility. Of course, that's not what the law says. And I think another really interesting facet of this is this echoes very much what Joe Biden himself said as a senator in the early uh, 1990s. Right. So, you know, you, you it's a little bit easier to be senator and say you're not going to do something than to be president with high inflation in the holiday season saying you're going to let the economy go one billion per week if that's what this would be if there is a strike. Rick, Senator Thune sounding a lot like Kevin McCarthy in in his comments to reporters when he emerged from that meeting today with the president. Are they right? And and where did the White House go wrong here, if that's the case? Should they have not pushed this as far as they did before getting Congress involved? Well, I think that uh, it is surprising, as uh, Senator Thune said, that the, the president of the United States, who fashions himself as the greatest defender of the unions in America, couldn't have gotten something done with the unions that that really haven't uh, voted for it. And as he pointed out, it's really one union out of the group of, I think, a dozen unions. Now, it's a big one. It's half the members uh, uh, involved in this thing. But uh, you would have thought that this administration really had the chops to get something done here. And then just to punt it to Congress at the 11th hour, uh, you know, look, it is what it is. I I can't imagine there are going to be anybody really opposed to doing something in Congress to avert the strike. But you do have to scratch your head and say, like, so the debate is over these union members not getting any sick leave. So if you have COVID, you got to show up for work. Or one day, right? They got one day out of this deal. One day. And and so I, I honestly think there's more to this story than... I think our top line, you know, media discussion has, and yeah. and the, the the missing element here is the the railroads. I mean, where are those guys? Why why aren't they at the table saying yes? We can fashion an option. Right. Maybe give them a couple days. Maybe give them a week. Uh, Senator Chuck Schumer, interesting. This is important for our listeners here, Jeannie, making clear that you keep hearing about this deadline, the end of next week. That's actually not the timetable that we're dealing with in reality. Our real deadline is sooner than that, because as the speaker mentioned, many of the people who many of the suppliers, if they believe there may well be a shutdown, will then um, not send their goods. Uh, Chlorine desperately needed, perishable, um, and cities and towns throughout America need that chlorine for their water supplies to keep them safe. So so the real deadline is sooner, and we're going to try to solve this ASAP. The point here, Jeannie, is that this involves a lot more than your Amazon packages that you might be waiting for at the front step. Does this need to be dealt with this week no matter what? It, it really does. And I, I thought Senator Schumer made a really important point there, saying we can't afford to wait until the deadline. And of course, this likely passes the House pretty quickly. The problem is Schumer's own Senate, where one senator, one or two, can object enough to drag this out. And again, we are coming up on a very short deadline. And he's right. You can't wait till the 8th or the 9th. It's got to be done before. And one or two senators, whether it's Sanders, Rubio, maybe John Thune, although I don't suspect he would, drag this out by objection we could go into a strike, and that would have devastating economic consequences. That's where the unforced errors are 
potentially going to happen and certainly something the White House is aware of. Uh, let's get to the uh, the issue of government funding. Senator John Thune a short time ago on Bloomberg recognizing we've got the, the, the funding expiration on the 16th of December. So then what? Well, I do worry about, you know, when you do these sort of short-term CR, short-term CR, short-term yeah. CR, um, eventually, you know, something's got to give. Push, mm-hmm. You know, there's, there, there's got to be some um, final uh, resolution to this. And, um, and I would hope that that wouldn't result in a government shutdown, which is why I think it's advantageous for everyone to try and work this out now and hopefully there is a, a path forward to a funding solution that would uh, that would go uh, into uh, the end of the fiscal year next year. So the year. big question here, Rick, is do we do a short-term CR or do they find an omnibus that or maybe it's a long-term CR gets us through the year? What's what's the what's the real outcome here? Um, look, I, what I've been hearing is they'll they'll do a short-term CR from the 16th of December to sometime around the 23rd. Yeah. The back will be up against the wall because I want to get out for Christmas holidays, and that's What's usually when good things happen. Yeah. Uh, so my guess would be that they'd, they'd do an omnibus. They've been working hard on getting this omnibus done. I, I'm, I'm not sure they've actually come to final agreement on top-line numbers that will then just flow down through this massive yeah. government budget. Uh, but once they do that, it, it, this should put this to rest. We'll have a lot more on this with our panel. Rick and Jeannie stay with us as we also turn to the issue of same-sex marriage getting a vote today in the Senate. The fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. We've got an eye and an ear on the U.S. Senate floor right now. They're voting on Senator Rubio's amendment on religious protections for faith-based institutions to this marriage equality bill that is going to pass. Just a question of what the vote's going to be and who decides to take a stand here. Marco Rubio's amendment to strike language allowing someone to bring a civil lawsuit if they were denied the bill's protections being considered along with Senator Mike Lee. He's got one would bar the federal government from taking discriminatory action against individuals or organizations who act based on a, quote, sincerely held religious belief, unquote. And then Senator James Lankford, he's got one involving uh, Native American tribes. It would include tribes under the bill's provisions requiring recognition of legal marriages performed in states. The debate has been something. Now, as I mentioned with Senator Thune, more than 70 percent of Americans polled say they support this. It doesn't always sound that way when you're on the floor of the Senate. Here's Senator Cynthia Lummis. The Bible teaches that marriage is between one man and one woman. I accept God's word, including God's word as to the definition of marriage. But not all Republicans feel that way. Senator Rob Portman of Ohio. The American people want us to settle this issue and millions of American couples who are married, including many in Ohio, are counting on us to recognize and protect their marriage and give them the peace of mind that they deserve. Let's reassemble the panel. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano are with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, Jeannie, this is expected to pass. Just a question of how many Republicans vote yes. That's right. And this is all complicated because, of course, Raphael Warnock is, you know, competing in his election. So he can't be there. They need all 12 of those senators. Um, And, you know, it's interesting. You just played the clip by Loomis. She received some blowback from Christian leaders who asked her or requested that she reverse her vote, change her vote, unless it includes Lee's amendment, the final version of the bill. So this is why this is such a tough vote for some of these Republicans, as Senator Thune noted, depending on where you live and depending depending on your constituents and their views, while 70-plus percent of Americans can support, that can be narrowed in certain sectors of the country. And there are interests that are pushing against this bill unless it includes these amendments. 
want to recall John Thune's uh, comment on this, Rick, before I hear from you. Here's, again, the senator from South Dakota. Well, I mean, I think it's a, it, it did vary state to state, obviously, and it's a different issue in my state than it would be in, in perhaps, a, you know, an area in this part of the country. Um, but I do think it's a settled issue. I think the courts did that. And my, one of my arguments is that this isn't something, again, that Congress or the, that we ought to have to intervene with. There's, in my view, no reason. There's no challenge out there in any state in the country. There's no challenge out there, Rick. But, of course, when people hear settled issue, they, they think Roe v. Wade. Talk to us about the politics here inside the Republican Party. For those of us who are in the so-called bubble, who think of this as kind of a layup, Culturally speaking, what does this mean for Republicans having a hard time on this vote? Look, I mean, all this was triggered by the Supreme Court decision on Roe, and and we wouldn't be having this conversation if if that had not occurred. This yeah. was not on anybody's radar screen until last summer when when the court overturned and made the Dobbs decision. So the reality is, it's kind of self inflicted if you if you call the Supreme Court, you know, sort of right leaning. Uh, the reality, too, is that um, most people really don't understand how the game is played on this. Uh, you know, almost all states recognize marriage, same-sex marriage licenses, but only 15 give them. So That's it doesn't change true. that. So That's for right. people like, you know, uh, John Thune, who uh, from South Dakota, highly unlikely they'll ever change their statute in South Dakota. It really doesn't force them to do anything they un- otherwise don't already do. And yeah. so... I, I think it is symbolic, though, and I think that they, this is a, a, a reaction and maybe not an, a, a, too much of a reaction to to the Dobbs decision and, and people who feel threatened uh, with what they thought were, uh, as John Thune said, settled issues. Yeah, right. Remember uh, Barney Frank uh, at one point, the congressman from Massachusetts, the first openly gay member of Congress, Jeannie, he said, if you have a problem with gay marriage, then don't gay marry. Which I thought was actually a pretty smart line. But the fact is, as Rick points out, you cannot gay marry in a lot of states in this country. And this legislation won't change that. That's right. But, you know, I have to say, and and gosh, I remember, Barney, (laughs) you just reminded me. And it's a great, great quote. Um, You know, the reality, though, you know, John Thune says it's a settled issue. It's certainly not a settled issue. Um, And, you know, there's a reason we're here. It's because justices on the Republican side in the Supreme Court raised this issue. And, of course, it raised the specter that this could be overturned in Congress. So, you know, the idea we're in a settled uh, settled territory is not the case. But I will tell you, there's a large group of women in the country are saying, hey, what about us? We're talking about this issue of same-sex marriage, rightly so. Mm-hmm. What about the issue of women's health care, which isn't set to be codified in this Senate or Congress or in any in the in the you know near offing? So, you know, there's a group of, of you know people who are saying there's you know some question here as to why yeah. women aren't getting equal treatment on this issue. Are you talking contraception or are we talking reproductive rights? What do you mean? When you uh, say co- that? Reproductive rights, contraception, yeah. all yeah. of the above. Um, you know, there's a large group of women saying, hey, what about us? This all started with the Dobbs decision, and rightly right. so, we're having it about same-sex marriage. But what about the, what about the issues of health care for women? That's not come up, and it's not going to come up, as far as we can tell, in, any near, uh, in the near future. Well, how come that is, Rick? Uh, do we need more female lawmakers? Is it as simple as that? Uh, you know, look, the politics is much more complicated, you know, when it comes to reproductive rights. Uh, sure. And and right now, uh, probably uh, the divisions that are in place are going to exist for some time. Uh, you know, we've just been through an election cycle where this issue played out in, in, in incredible importance. And I think lawmakers are going to 
going to have to let that settle in and figure out what they're going to do about it in the future. Whether they, I, I doubt if they can put something together this quickly, but this issue is not going away. No, it's not. And oh my gosh, we'll be impressed if they can put a budget together uh, at this point. So just hang on with that. Rick and Jeannie are going to hang on. They come back. We've got a few other boxes to check here, including uh, Senator Thune's statement on Donald Trump's dinner with Nick Fuentes at Mar-a-Lago. We're also going to turn to what's happening in Arizona. Rick Davis will surely weigh in on this. Carrie Lake says she's going to sue. She's lawyered up. And wow, if you were in the room for the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors, listening to people complain about the way the election was conducted, can't let your kid listen to half of it. We'll have more next. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So Mitch McConnell denounced the dinner at Mar-a-Lago, the dinner with a white supremacist, Nick Fuentes. This is the Trump-Kanye thing. But Kevin McCarthy, as you heard earlier this hour, he denounced it uh, in the White House driveway today. You can add Senator John Thune, who didn't waste any time when I asked him about it earlier this hour. I, I actually, I don't know what you can say. You can't defend it. Um, and uh, in our party, if if that's the kind of um, leadership that our party uh, can expect into the future, we're going to be a minority party. Mm. And uh, and so that's uh, that kind of behavior, that kind of um, tolerance for those sorts of views is just is not acceptable. A more convincing answer you might suggest, uh, then meet the press got from Representative James Comer on Sunday. Well, he certainly needs better judgment in who he dines with. I know that he's issued a statement and said he didn't know uh, who those people were. But at any rate, you know, my focus is going to be on uh, investigating the current administration. <laughs> 40 or 50 investigations. Let's reassemble the panel. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano here, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, Rick, John Thune has never been a Trump guy Right. That I'm assuming was not too difficult for him to come together on. No, but I don't think this is very difficult for anybody within the party these days. Um, you know, there was a whole raft of folks today yeah. uh, coming out. Even, you know, his boss, uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, right. uh, condemned it pretty widely and, and made the point that 
Uh, he doubts if anybody can become president if they take this kind of uh, approach. So uh, a direct shot at Donald Trump. And, uh, and, and what I was really impressed by is a number of the Jewish leaders who served in the Trump administration, including his ambassador to Israel, um, you know, encouraged Donald Trump to throw the bums out. So there's there's really no opening here in the Republican Party for this kind of conduct. And Donald Trump's finding himself completely isolated on this issue. And it's all of his own doing. Should Kevin McCarthy had spoken earlier, Jeannie, I ask you that because it was on this program last evening. Uh, that that he was being called out for it. And, it. and it was just today. This is a full week later that it happened. Yeah, I mean, I think he should have spoken out earlier, but better late than never. And I think it was very interesting that Senator Thune said to you that he sees a robust primary in the Republicans' future. Right. I think he may be right about that. I think the big question in my mind is how long do they let a robust primary go? Because, of course, the problem for Republicans, the more people in the race, the more likely it is that Donald Trump could keep his 30, 32 percent and squeak his way through. Yeah. So are they going to coalesce behind somebody at some point and when is that going to be or are they going to have another 2015 2016 on their hands where he knocks people out one at a time so i was very interested to hear him say he sees that but how uh-huh. long he's gonna you know they want that to continue is going to be the question were you surprised that you know there, he's frequently mentioned as a potential candidate himself not only a potential senate leader rick but his name comes up every four years as a potential republican nominee or a candidate for president he wasn't going near that when i asked him and i suppose you you wouldn't expect him to, but is is he actually, do you think, looking at it? Or well, is his future in the Senate? Everybody in the United States Senate thinks they can be <laughs> president of the United States. Fair and uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i sure there are days when he's, you know, sitting around home and thinking, God, I could do that. And, and he could. Uh, he's a very talented guy. And as John McCain said, probably the best looking senator in the United States Senate. <laughs> So if looks have anything to do with it, that man is in the top 10. And, Tell Donald uh, Trump that. So so at the end of the stage, uh, it's probably not his place. Uh, he's had his eye on Senate leadership for a yep. long time. He's made a lot of sacrifices. He was not even going to run for reelection and, you know, got talked into, you know, trying to be a part of a new uh, coalition. I'm sure he's more disappointed than anybody, you know, that we uh, we're not going to have the votes to get the majority in the United States yeah, Senate this right. year. So. I think he's a he's going to stay in the Senate and he's going to and he's going to vie for leadership at some point in time. And uh, maybe 2024, uh, you know, he he sees some window of opportunity there. But uh, I would doubt if he's one of the folks who is going to throw their hat in the ring. Carrie Lake thinks the window of opportunity is still open for her bid uh, to be the next governor of Arizona. And I have to. I have to bring you up to date on this. We've heard a lot. She went online and, you know, with the, the fuzzy background and all that stuff to address her supporters today. It's, it's been a minute. If we do not stand up and speak up right now about the most dishonest elections in the history of Arizona, I truly fear for our future. Mm-hmm. And I'm working with a team of patriotic, talented lawyers on a legal case to challenge the botched elections. Okay, so now this all comes after... A difficult couple of weeks for the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. We talked to Bill Gates here a few weeks back. He described the death threats that his family has been receiving. I believe he had to relocate his family. Uh, but still, a couple of uh, a couple of days worth of hearings. There's this stream of people coming in to scream about uh, the way the election was handled before the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. One of those supervisors, Steve Gallardo, has had it. And he opened up on Kerry Lake today. You look at the Twitter feed of Kerry Lake and the Kerry Lake War Room. 
They put up 28 posts on Twitter of 28 people speaking with concerns and comments and yelling at us. But when it came down to answering every one of those questions, not one tweet from Carrie Lake. Just the tweet we saw today actually saying she's going to fight this thing. When you have folks that are throwing rocks at the system, but not wanting to tell the voters the truth, that's unconscionable. Shame on her. Shame on her. The voters spoke. They decided. It just happened to not be her or some of the other candidates. Uh It is what it is. The voters had the opportunity to have their voices heard. Ballots were counted. And this election was safe, secure, and accurate. And then they had their voices heard again. Now imagine again, we've played some of this stuff for you. It's been going on for a couple of weeks. You know, people screaming into the microphone, wearing crazy clothes, doing crazy stuff. You get your two minutes and they say, thank you, next. When you don't, you can say anything about thank you, next. And the last 24 hours were wild. I came here today to get an up-close and personal look at the seven traitors to the United States Constitution. That would be the board. Again, please. sitting at that desk. Every single one of us who's a poll center right now, worker right now is making fun of you. Every single one of us. You are the butt of our jokes. Disaster. I'm not sure they care. You guys represent evil? Good versus evil. All you God-fearing men and women out here need to understand that and get up every day and start donning your body armor before you step on this battlefield. Body armor? I don't know if it's you guys don't know or you are purposely disenfranchising the whole world with this gaslighting (laughs) this stuff. Ah, Okay. the word of the year from Merriam-Webster, gaslight. Uh, The world, disenfranchising the world. Rick, you've... Uh, spent some time in Arizona politics. You've uh, helped to run elections in Arizona. Where's this going with Carrie Lake? Well, all I can say is welcome to Arizona. <laughs> okay. Uh, look, I mean, you know, even uh, Bill Gates, you know, chairman of the Maricopa County Supervisor, says, yeah. you know, look, if you want to sue, sue. You know, you present your facts in a court of law, and and Maricopa County will do whatever you want the court the court instructs it to do. But he's got facts on his side, so he doesn't have to sort of demagogue it and, and, and say all these crazy things. He can just say, sue me. Uh, we've already certified the election. So, uh, I, you know, look, I, I think this is, again, a lot of smoke, uh, no fire. Uh, we've, we've already spent two years hearing from Donald Trump right. uh, about his election loss being stolen and not a shred of evidence of well, how Well, is this going to lead to some audit or something all over again? Or does Arizona have the goods to shut this down? Well, just remember, the audit was a political audit. That came out of the legislature. Uh, There doesn't seem to be any real desire by folks in the legislature today to uh, try to do what they did and failed last time. I mean, they audited the elections in 2020, and Joe Biden got a few extra votes. I mean, it was like, wow, that's really helpful. So, look, at this stage, really, the big game is Cochise County. They are the only county in Arizona that did not certify its results as required by law. And even they are on the record have saying, oh, well, you know, we're just posturing on this thing. So the secretary of state, who happens to be the governor elect, uh, is suing Cochise County. What I find incredibly ironic is it's a all red state. So like, if Cochise <laughs> County, for whatever reason, gets thrown out, the attorney general, who's only behind by 500 votes, has no chance of getting wow. uh, uh, elected because there'll be thousands and thousands of votes for him in Cochise County. So this is a this is a, a, a problem that we have where people try to undermine the integrity of perfectly normal elections. And even yeah. the supervisors admit in Cochise, 
oh, we had a normal vote, but we're doing this in solidarity to the people in, in <laughs> okay. Maricopa County who got Jeez. disenfranchised. So, Jeannie, uh, what's next for Carrie Lake then? I mean, are we going to watch this unfold for the next two years, or does she become Donald Trump's shoe-in for a VP candidate? Well, you know, I'm a bit disappointed she's on Twitter and not on Truth, but I hope she gets yeah, you, herself back. You don't even back know where on, to find her. I don't know where to find her, but I just want to follow up. And Rick's just you, you guys talking about Cochise County. The irony and the absurdity of that is if they fail to certify by Arizona law, then we could very well see a Democrat win the House seat in the 6th Congressional District because they the 14,000 votes that the Republican won would not be counted. And Kristen Ingle may well take that sixth district so they are protesting they say they did nothing wrong it's in solidarity with maricopa and yet they may push a democrat into that house so it's utterly absurd and you know carrie lake will continue but i think you know kudos to these election workers in georgia and arizona who are fighting this fight and doing the right thing leadership does matter carrie lake is absolutely wrong and you know got you know let's all hope that there aren't some crazy people out there who act violently it hasn't happened yet but this kind of incitement is the real danger here and you know she and donald trump they have to be very careful what they say but did you hear the u.s beat iran i spoke to the coach and the players i said you can do this they went they're gonna they did it they did it god love them anyway just thought you might want to hear yeah joe biden runs back to the podium as the usa beats iran one zip that's the football the soccer you know rick and Jeannie, thank you we need more time on this thing The fastest hour in politics. Go USA. This is Bloomberg. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. Brought to you by Sherm, a better workplace, a better world.